So I have the privilege of um, introducing to you, if you don't know him already, uh, Mayor David Eaton. Come on up here. All right. And it was, you know, kind of funny. How I noticed on our sign, uh, it says, uh, you know, Mayor Dave Eaton, guest speaker. Well, Dave and Donna are founding members of the church, so you're not much of a guest uh, for 40 years, that's for sure. And uh, Dave has often shared a testimony or praise to God uh, over the years. Uh, and, and, but I've, I believe, I know that I've seen him uh, kind of work here that, uh, in our community, that he has a gift of speaking, and the Lord will use him in proclaiming truth and bringing unity. Um, I, I want to go back since, since your, your son Matthew is here. And um, I was uh, right. Matthew, you have how many? 18, 20 kids? What is it again? I forgot. It's eight, but it feels like eight. <laughs> yeah, it's eight kids, yeah. Well, what a, you and your wife are so bold and courageous. Bless you. Awesome. And, um, uh, but we were in the cover dish dinner a few months ago in the fellowship hall, and I was asking about memories of, I guess it was during our fourth year celebration, and memories of back. And, and here's one of the memories he's had when I was his youth pastor. Uh, back in the 90s, and he was a teenager, that we had some kind of pillow fight or something in a cabin. And, you know, and, I, and somehow I knocked this big guy down, and, and, but he did a karate chop, and boom, and got me right, you know, in the eye. I had a black eye for the rest of the, of the retreat, you know. So, you know, he, that's his memory, you know. You know, that really, really uh, encouraged him in the Lord, you know. So, um, uh, so some good times uh, back in those days. So it's great to have you and family here this morning. But, uh, you know, David, he's a, um, and I've, of course, known him for years, and, uh, but watched him in the community. He does serve God in the community with his gifts and the open door, doors that God gives him. Uh, this is the second time he's been mayor of Shelbyville, and in between that time, he was uh, in Simpsonville, the manager, isn't that what it's called? So, city manager. That's when the outlet malls came to Simpsonville. Does everybody like the outlet malls like I do? Do you like them as much? Yeah? Aren't they great? And, and so there's an effectiveness in his leadership to better a community. And um, I've, I've always sensed uh, when he's either speaking or leading that he does this, you know, unto the Lord that he's sent as, as a servant uh, to serve our community, to serve us. And, uh, and also there is a blessing on his work. Um, I think it was 2021, maybe 2020, this, uh, the city of Shelbyville received the city government Award for the state of Kentucky, uh, recognized for excellence in city government, and when and I was there at that that award ceremony, uh, plus many other uh, awards. David, I, I wouldn't be able to list them, but and they said that there's been so much incredible cooperation between agencies in this community to get things done for their people, and that was one of the reasons they came to the top and were that was awarded. And and David, thank you. For that effectiveness, and so uh, we see the Lord in you and Donna. Donna has served uh, in city council as well for many years, and uh, so thank you for shining your light. Uh, let me pray for you, well, Lord Jesus. It is our privilege, Lord God, to uh, listen to your Holy Spirit through this servant, and uh, Lord God, we ask that your Spirit uh, awaken us, Lord God, to your Word, and Lord God, that our our hearts would receive what each one, what you have for each one of us. Uh, use David this morning, anoint him, and will God bless him and his family in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. 
Well, I'm going to start off with a drink of water. Well, good morning. All right. uh, before I get into uh, what the Lord's led me to, uh, to talk about today, uh, as I was preparing for this, uh, something else was, was put on my heart as well that uh, I felt like I needed to share this morning. And God's been dealing with me about not taking things for granted. Not taking things for granted. And he did this as I was preparing this particular message because Stephen called me six weeks ago to do this. So what you're about to hear today took me six weeks to do. And uh, as I was going through this, you know, God kept putting my, on my heart over and over again, David, your pastor does this virtually every week. It took you six weeks. He's doing it every week. I mean, what a gift to us and what a blessing for this church. But he also took me you know, further than that. He, he said, you know, the, the praise team's up here every week. I guarantee you they just don't walk in here Sunday morning and say, what are we going to do today? They, they're preparing for it. Our audiovisual team does incredible work for us every day so we can uh, see these things on Sunday. Uh, anything that you see on the screen today, thank Philip Whitehead because me and technology do not get along. So just, just so many incredible things are happening in this church and just, just think about it. When you walk in this church every Sunday, it's clean. Uh, you, you come in here and the grass is mowed in the summertime. Or in the wintertime, the ice is cleared so that we can get in here safely. And so we have a comfort here, but we have a comfort here because there's so many people that are taking the time and the energy and the dedication to make it comfortable for us. So it's important that we not take things for granted. So I just want to encourage everybody, not just on special occasions, because I think when we have pastor appreciation, we need definitely to do that. But in any time during the year, for any of these people that are serving our community, serving our, our, our church here, say a kind word. Say thank you. Uh, you know, say job well done. It can be uttered at any time, and I promise you it makes a difference. It does make a difference. So I want to encourage you that, uh, for that today. Okay, uh, the title of this message today is Emotions Are From God, Use Them By The Spirit. And thank you, Philip Whitehead. I could not have done that, all right? Oh, goodness. We live in trying times. You ever heard that statement before? We live in trying times. What about this one? Emotions are running high. If you stop and think about it, emotions seem like they're always running high. It seems like we're always in trying times. And when I look at back at, at, over my life, and uh, I'm 69 years old now, there's some things I've gone through in my life, and some of you have as well, that uh, for some of us, we've lived it. For others of us, it's history. You know, during my lifetime, uh, I went through the Cuban Missile Crisis. Some of you remember that. Uh, I was eligible for the draft during the Vietnam War. Uh, for a 17-year-old kid, that, that's a scary thing. We went through the Civil Rights Movement. This one you'll love. Back in the late 70s and the early 80s, interest rates were in the teens 
for years and years and years. They got as high as 18%. And some people today, oh my goodness, the interest rates are going to be 5.5%. What are we going to do? Well, And for them, that, that's a big deal. But for some of us that are a little older, we look at it a little bit differently because we went through that time. You know, we went through Desert Storm. We went through 9-11. And, of course, we just recently went through, through COVID. And we, we, I could go on and on and on. The truth is, controversial issues have consistently happened in this country. And they're going to continue to happen today. They're going to continue to happen tomorrow. And they're going to continue on and on and on. That's just part of the world that we live in. You know, issues that we're dealing with today, like uh, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, so now we're really dealing with abortion rights. We're dealing with mass shootings and how that affects the Second Amendment. We're dealing with LBGTQ issues. We're dealing with public versus private schools and what we should be doing within these schools. And those are just to name a few. Now, as, as we deal with this, this brings out strong emotions in people. And these issues are dividing our country. So how do we deal with that? Because it's important to understand that somebody may feel exactly the opposite that you feel and they're just as passionate about how they feel as about how we feel. Both sides are equally passionate. So how do we deal with that? Because one thing I've learned over the years, if two people are trying to have a conversation and both of them are emotional, it's not going to turn out very well. So what can we do? And I'm going to have it up on the screen just a second, but I want to read this first to you. It says, Genesis 1.21, it states, God created man in his own image. And a lot of times we look at that from, okay, I, I look like God. Well, it's more than that. When God created us in his own image, he created us in his image inside and out. Inside and out. So since God has emotions, we too have these emotions. Because we're a reflection of God's own being. So I want to show you a, a list of some of God's emotions. And hopefully it's going to come up soon. There we go. And it says, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. Now, I'm just going to mention these. I'm not going to show the verse to you, but I'll list the verse. But these are some of the emotions that God has exhibited in his word. In Psalm 37, 12 through 13, it says, God laughs. In John eleven thirty-five, it said, God mourns. God mourns. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, it says, God hates. Of course, we all know John 3, 16, where it says, God loves. In Psalms 104, 31, it says, God rejoices. In 1 Kings 3.10, it says, God's pleased. In Exodus 4.14, and we hear, see it in other parts of the, of the word, God's angered. In Exodus 34.14, it says, God is jealous. And in Matthew 14.14, 14, it says, God has compassion. Notice one that was missing? 
Fear. Fear. It's because fear is not one of God's emotions. The first time the word afraid is used in the word is when Adam and Eve have partaken of the forbidden fruit and they're walking in the garden and God says, where are you? And Adam says, I didn't say anything because I was afraid. I was afraid. God did not put fear in our hearts. That happened at the fall. Fear is not one of God's emotions. And there's a reason why God says over 300 times in the Word, fear not, or be not afraid. He's telling us over and over again, that's not from me. Fear's not from me. So because we are created in His image, and fear is not a part of that image, we all know fears of the flesh, only by living in the Spirit and letting God display His character in us and through us can we overcome that fear. Can we overcome the flesh? So how do emotions and the Spirit interact in our Christian lives? And the answer is, it depends. That's a good political answer, isn't it? I had to do that, all right? But it does depend. It depends on the person. It depends on the situation. It depends on the issue. God is not a one-size-fits-all God. God deals with each of us individually. He knows your name. He knows who you are. And because He knows who you are, He deals with you as an individual. So it does depend, because each one of us, we need special care from the Lord, and He takes care of us. Now, emotions can be shown externally, or they can be kept internally. And one can be in the Spirit in the same way, externally or internally. You know, many times the Spirit causes our emotions to, uh, to break out with the raising of hands. Dancing. I got three left feet. Never works. Never works. But I try. Speaking in tongues. Crying. And even, even laughing. Even laughing. Do you know years ago, I don't remember how many years ago it was, those of us that have been here for a while know, this church went through a, a time of holy laughter. And some of you may remember that. And... We'd be up here doing the morning announcements, and all of a sudden, it had to stop. Everybody just started laughing. I mean, the person doing the reading of the announcements couldn't contain himself or herself. We just started laughing. And I don't know how long that lasted, but it was a very unique time in this church. We actually went through a time of holy laughter. But sometimes, sometimes, the Holy Spirit keeps our emotions within We remain still. The Holy Spirit keeps us focused. That's Donna's favorite word for me. David, you're focused today. Because God's instructing us for an emotional display. Or potentially a confrontation. Or to resist a temptation. 
There are times when we need to contain our emotions until the Holy Spirit shows us that now's the time to display those emotions. Now, I'm a sports guy. Uh, All my life I've been involved in athletics. I was an athlete in high school. I played baseball in college. Uh, I've I've done all these things. I'm at at that age now to where I say, I can still do that and my body just won't listen. (laughs) But I still try anyway. But think about it for a second. There's a golf tournament on TV and you're watching this golf tournament and they're on the last hole of the golf tournament and this guy has about a 15-foot putt, which is maybe about from here to the speaker right here. And if he makes that putt, he wins the tournament and it's worth a million and a half dollars. If he misses the putt, he comes in second place And that's worth a million dollars. That putt from here to here is worth a half a million dollars. You don't think he's feeling some pressure? He's not feeling some emotion? But he doesn't show it. He goes back on his training, the time that he put into it. And and when he lines up that putt, if he makes it, oh, he's cheering. He's, He's going nuts. And if he misses, oh, no, I missed it again. So the emotion doesn't come out until the result comes forth. Now, another one, I, I love football. Me and Donna watch a lot of football. And uh, uh, we've watched UK games for a year, UofL games. Uh, pro, I'm, a, I'm a big Packer fan. I'm still hurting from last year's loss. Uh, you never get over it. Um, but this seems to happen a whole lot in football. More and more as, as we go through things. Uh, about five seconds left in the game, team calls timeout, and out trots the field goal kicker. And he's going to kick this field goal or miss it one or the other, and it's going to decide who wins the game and who doesn't. And every time that this happens, this is what my wife does. Poor little guy. (laughs) Poor little guy. This guy makes a million dollars a year. Poor little guy. Yeah, but if he misses it, they're going to blame him, and it, it could be because somebody missed a block. It could be because the snapper didn't snap it right. It could be because the, the holder didn't spin the ball the right way. My wife knows football. It's cool. I mean, how great is it that your wife knows football? All right? And so all these things could happen, but for that field goal kicker, He has to be totally focused on what he's doing. He can't worry about the lineman. He can't worry about the holder. He can't worry about the the snapper. All he's doing, he's focused on that one point. And when he kicks that ball, more often than not, they know the second they kick it, whether it's going to be a good kick or not. And if it is, they're cheering for him. They're putting him on their shoulders. We won the game, thanks to you. If not, they're patting him on his head. says, okay, we'll do better next time. The emotion doesn't come out until the result comes out. So there is a time to show emotion, and there's times to keep that emotion within. And Jesus showed us a couple of examples of these. He did this when he was angry. And I want to take you to John chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Okay. 
It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cord, and he drove them all from the temple area. Both the sheep, the cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. Now, a lot of people like to portray this as that Jesus was totally out of control. His eyes were fiery. I mean, he just didn't, he didn't know what was going on. And the truth is, that's not the case at all. You know, I love when there's a, a verse in the Bible and you say, I wonder why that's there. Okay? And this one verse in the Bible, I, I've read it many, many times, and I, I'm so thankful the Lord kind of revealed this to me this time. If you go back, it says, he first made a whip out of cords. He first made a whip out of cords. He just wasn't walking along and just, this is, you know, just went nuts. He took the time to make a whip out of cord. He just didn't go off. It was a planned anger. He knew exactly what he was doing. He controlled the anger. He took the actions that he wanted to take. Now, a lot of times when we get angry, we may say things that maybe we shouldn't say. You know, uh, maybe we do things that we shouldn't do. But Jesus didn't do that because he controlled it. He did exactly what he meant to do. You can be angry and still be in control. You can do that. However, Jesus also showed us that even in anger, God can still be exalted. And I'm going to read for you Mark 3, 1 through 3. That's not up there right now. But it says, another time he went to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely, and they wanted to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now what Jesus was about to show us here is that even in anger, God can still be exalted. Because if we read on in Mark chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, it says, then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around in them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Now here the Pharisees were trying to set Jesus up to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But this time Jesus figuratively turned the tables on them. So even in his anger at the Pharisees, he still healed the man's hand. Even in his anger, he still healed that man's hand. 
So have I, I know I have. Have we ever been angry at one thing and taken it out on someone else? Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've come home and haven't had the best day in the world. And poor Donna. I'm so thankful that uh, she has patience with me. And I've gotten better at it over the years. But sometimes it, 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 it just happens. We, we're angry at one thing and we take it out on someone else. Jesus didn't do that. He was angry at the Pharisees and he still healed that man's hand. So let's go to an incredible example of where being in the Holy Spirit can help us control our emotions. And the main text that I'm going to use today is, is Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. And it's the temptations of Jesus in the desert. But before I do that, I want us to look back at Luke 3.22. And this is Jesus' baptism in the Jordan. And it says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Whoa! If that's not an emotional moment, I don't know what is. When God the Father looked down from heaven at his son Jesus and said, You are my son, and in you I am well pleased? If that didn't elicit some, some emotion, nothing ever will. And we do that here on, 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 in our earthly home as well. Uh, ladies, y'all do a fantastic job of encouraging your kids uh, giving them positive reinforcement all the time. But fathers, we got some work to do sometimes. I don't always uh, do as, as well as I should in terms of uh, uh, telling my children how pleased I am with them. I, I try to make a habit of it as best I can. Because there's something special when a father says to their child, I'm pleased with what you did. There's something, something special about it. Uh, my son's sitting here today. And as Stephen told you earlier, uh, he was raised in this church. He was born in this church in uh, 1981. I don't know if he was the first baby born here, but he was one of the first. And he was raised in this church, and I've, I've had the privilege of watching him all my life. He's an incredible father. He's a wonderful husband. I couldn't ask for a better son. And I can't tell you how pleased I am to call him my son. And the same with my daughter. The same with my daughter. So there's always something special when fathers tell their children that they're pleased with them. So let's start going through Luke. Now, this chapter in Luke is uh, also in Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 4. And it's summarized in Mark uh, chapter 1. Okay. All right. Chapter, first verse says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Remember, he was just baptized in the Jordan River. His father said, I'm pleased with you. So you know uh, G G Jesus is, is emotional about that. 
And then the Holy Spirit descended on him in the bodily form of a dove. So after this happened, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was just baptized and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Now, the first thing we want to notice here is is a lot of times we we are so focused on the three temptations, we can overlook that one verse where it says, where for 40 days he was tempted of the devil. Jesus wasn't just lounging in in the desert. He was being tempted every single day by the devil. Every single day. And so although we focus on the, on the three temptations we're going to go over in a minute, these did not take place until after the 40 days. Luke also states that Jesus ate nothing during those days and he was hungry. So Jesus had gone through an emotional 40 days of temptation with Satan and he was now physically hungry as well. And the devil mistakenly saw this as an opportunity to pounce. Now, if we think about it, when temptations come our way, quite often the temptations come after we've gone through a difficult time. You can't get any more difficult than Satan tempting you for 40 solid days, not eating for 40 days. So many times when we're tempted, it's after we're worn down when we're not emotionally or physically at our best. But when Satan decided to pounce, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's always at full strength. Always. We just need to rely on that truth and be not afraid. So let's look at the three temptations. Now, the devil said to him in chapter 3, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And he was trying to get Jesus to deal with a physical need. So Satan tried to tempt Jesus to use his power to meet that need. If you are the Son of God. Now, what the devil was really saying here is, Prove it. Prove it. Now, how often do those two words elicit an emotional response from us? Show me. Prove it to me. Oh, I can remember when I was a kid, I did so many stupid things because somebody told me to prove it. Oh, I I remember one time I was in high school. I went to Valley High School on Dixie Highway in Louisville, Kentucky, and our school had a pool. And so we got to use that pool during the course of the year, sometimes during physical education uh, times. Uh, uh, I was in ROTC, so during that time we we could do some training with ROTC and stuff. And uh, I remember one time uh, I said, okay, I can jump off that high dive because we we had the low dive and the high dive. And uh, I I could jump off the high dive as long as I went feet first, but I was bragging a little bit that I can do that head first. And they said, show us. I got up there, and the high dive doesn't look too bad when you're on the ground. But when you get up there, and you're staying on top of it, you're about five or six feet higher than the high dive. 
So you're up there a pretty good little bit. And I'm looking down there. I said, what have I done? But I did it. I dove in head first. I hurt my head. I hurt my neck. But I did it. And I remember I walked back to these guys. And I said, see, I did it. You know what they said? We didn't see it. We didn't see that. We didn't see it. When you submit to proving yourself to someone else, you're giving them power over you. You're giving them power over you. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, he wasn't going to fall for that. So he quoted God's word instead. He said, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. And that's from Deuteronomy 8.3, from the Old Testament. Now the second one is more of an emotional temptation. This time, the devil led him up to a high place. And he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Satan offered Jesus power and authority. But what he forgot, Satan offered Jesus what Jesus already had. He already had the power and the authority. God had already given Jesus the power and authority based on the Father's love and compassion for his only Son. So once again, Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, quoted the Word. He said, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Serve Him only. Now Satan tried one more time. And once again, he was basically trying to get Jesus to prove it. However, this time, Satan used a different tactic. So let's look at this. Verse number 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. Throw yourself down from here. And then the devil did something. The devil quoted scripture. Don't think for a second Satan doesn't know scripture. He knows it. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So he quoted scripture. The devil actually said, for it is written. But of course he took it out of context. He took it out of context. He can quote the word, but he took it out of context. Because this verse in Psalms was written for the author of that psalm. And the author was, was, was telling, the author was being told, that in his daily walk, the Lord would guard him in all of his ways. But what Satan was doing, he was trying to tempt Jesus to deliberately jump and force God's hands. Well, you can never force God's hand. 
So once again, Jesus quoted scripture correctly. This time he said, do not put your Lord the God to the test. And that's in Deuteronomy 6.16. Now this temptation applies to us today because it seems more and more that uh, there are people manipulating scripture to promote their point of view or their agenda. And we have to be careful of that. Some will use scripture to misrepresent an issue or to promote a false equivalency. And we have to be mindful of that. Just because someone quotes scripture does not mean they serve the risen Savior. And if there's anyone in this room tonight that right now you're not serving the risen Savior, you can today. I can tell you right now, He'll accept you exactly as you are. He'll take you exactly as you are. But some will use Scripture to misrepresent an issue or to promote a false equivalency. We have to be mindful of that. Just because someone quotes the Scripture, like I said, doesn't mean they serve the risen Savior. But they do it because they want to elicit an emotional response. And in today's social media world, we have to be extremely careful and lean upon the Holy Spirit for discernment. Now, technology has made major strides in the last 30 years. And really, uh, for most of my life, I, uh, I grew up with uh, the telephone that, uh, what do you call it, a rotary? I still remember this. Uh, you dial your phone number, and it's got seven digits, eight digits, whatever it is to it, and you get to the last digit, and, and you've done all that, and it goes all the way back, and you've done that, and it goes all the way back. And when you get to the last digit, it's a nine, and you put your finger, little finger in the nine, and you start to dial, and your finger slips out halfway through. Remember that? Yeah. And so you didn't dial nine, you dialed a six. You dialed the wrong number, and you had to start all over again. I remember those days. And then we had push-button phones. Was that ever cool or what? We didn't have to stick our finger in the little hole anymore. We could just push a button. And if we pushed the wrong button, that was, you know, we did it so fast. Okay, okay, I'll hang up, I'll do it again. And then we went to cell phones. And now all, all i got to do is say, call Donna. And she doesn't answer. All right. <laughs> call Donna. I mean, it's, it's amazing, the advances, and they've happened so quickly. The society really hasn't had the opportunity to catch up with it. But 30 years ago, we didn't have the same instant access to information that we do today. So we have to be careful. Because we also have... Not only the instant ability to get information, we have the instant ability to respond to that information. We have Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and, and others I can't even think of. And there's positives with that. There's no doubt that there's positives. Right now my daughter's in Los Angeles flying home. And... Because we have these cell phones and Facebook, she can communicate with me just like that. I landed at the airport, Dad. I'm waiting for my next flight to go home. I know she's safe. 
I know she's, I mean, there's a positive to that. So we can keep up with our family. We can keep up with our friends. We can be informed of local happenings that are going on in our community and across the world. But there's also a dark side to social media that we have to be careful of. And it seems like this dark side is becoming more and more prevalent. Because as, as I said before, many people have an agenda. And they want to promote it. And as a result, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And it's being placed in the public eye. Now think about it for a second. Just think about it. There's 350 million approximately, 350 million people in the United States of America. There's a couple nuts out there. Just a couple. All right? And some crazy things happen. Crazy things happen all across this country. But most of the crazy stuff, the extreme stuff, is the exception. It's not the norm. However, those with agendas are, are trying to prove to you it's just the opposite. That these with the extreme agendas are now the norm. That's what's happening. So they post information that's slanted with a certain point of view. And you know why they do that? They want to tap into your emotions. They want to say it in such a way to where, I can't believe that. I've got to do something about this. They want to trigger a response. And because we're in front of a computer or we're in front of our, 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 our cell phone, as opposed to being physically face-to-face with them, we can let our guard down if we're not careful. And our connection with the Holy Spirit should be just as strong as it is as when we're in somebody's physical presence. There's things that people say on the Internet they would never say to another person's face. You know, like I said, there's many things that are said on social media that we would never say in front of others. But what we write often reveals our true character. Writing takes time. Just like Jesus made that cord, that whip out of cord, he took some time. So we have the opportunity when we're writing or typing something out. And if you're like me, I'm, I'm this kind of typer, so it does take me time. All right? But it gives us the opportunity to say, no, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to respond this way. I'm not going to let myself get caught up in this. We have the opportunity to say no. And we can do this because the Holy Spirit is always, always with us. I want to take you to Deuteronomy 31.8. And it says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never, never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. We can go to John 1.9. It says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Wherever you are. Whether you're in front of that computer or you're somewhere else with a cell phone in your hand, God's still with you. 
And then John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Forever. So God's always with us. The Holy Spirit's always there. We just have to make use of it. Now this is so important to understand because we want to walk in the Spirit daily. And we want to do that so that the light of Jesus can always shine through us. So let me, let me close with this. If you profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have the ability to use the Holy Spirit in conjunction with your emotions. God gave you the emotions. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Both came from God. But one thing that I can guarantee you as well, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, then people are listening to you and they're watching you. They're listening to you and they're watching you. They're listening to see if what you say matches what you do. Does our talk match our walk? Now this one won't be on the screen, but it's Matthew 23, 1-3. And said, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. In other words, they were, they were, telling, us, they were telling people the right things. But boy, then he put this one in here. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. What an indictment. What an indictment. So Jesus made it clear that the Pharisees' walk didn't match their talk. So let us strive to achieve what happened in Titus 2, verses 7 through 8. And it says, in everything, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Show them what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and a soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. We can do that through the Holy Spirit. You know, Proverbs 22.1 says, A good reputation is more desirable than great wealth, and favorable acceptance more than silver and gold. God gave us our emotions because He created us in His image. So we should always, always try to speak and act on those emotions with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you created us in your image. What, what, what an honor that you, that you bestowed upon us that you created us in your image. And Lord, may we always use the Holy Spirit to guide us in our ways to help us take the right steps, Lord. And at times, Lord, when, when we fall, Lord, just let us come straight to you, Lord, and, and seek forgiveness and, and corrections of our ways, Lord, and to continue to strive to do your will. Father, we lift up every person in this room today, Lord. Every person in this room, you have given gifts and talents to use for your kingdom, for your will. You know, if they don't know those talents yet, Lord, expose those talents so they can start using them for your holy name. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus.
for all that you've given us. Thank you, uh, you know, just for dying on the cross for us, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you return so we can spend eternity with you. These things we thank you for in your precious name. Amen.